Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. Once again, Happy New Year. Happy um, January to everyone. Hopefully, everyone's getting back to the grindstone now that we're in the second week of January. And that has kind of brought to my attention that a lot of you and a lot of people have not updated their telehealth information. Now, I know I did a telehealth 2024 in November, but I'm getting still questions where people are asking things that they shouldn't be asking in January that were uh, something that maybe became effective or wasn't extended after the PHE ended. So let's talk about that. So you can also find a lot of this information on my website. I just posted an article on telehealth and it's a fact sheet. So you can also print it out if you need to. So we all know that the public health emergency ended on May 11th of last year, but the confusion on how to report these services seems to be a never ending battle with everyone. So what did get extended through the end of this year and what didn't is what we're going to talk about today. Also remember to look and read and read it slowly and take a highlighter with you. Uh, Page XVII of your 2024 CPT book, Professional Edition, because it will give you insight into audio, video, and audio only services and how they made it into Appendix P and Appendix T, which you'll find in the back of your 2024 CPT book, which I'm sure all of you have received by now. I'm just going to make that assumption. I know sometimes assuming what that does, but hopefully you ordered it when it was available back in October and you have that information. So here are some of the highlights and I'm really focusing on what Medicare says. You know that every other payer commercially or otherwise um, has their own rules, especially if you go state to state on Medicaid. Had an email from somebody recently saying, well, Arizona State Medicaid says this, and that's fine. If that's the payer that you're dealing with and that's the state you're in, then you need to follow that state. But remember that Medicare is for Medicare patients, that is everywhere, and that also you have some policy provisions on commercial plans that you'll need to consider as well. So as of August of last year, telehealth platforms must be compliant with HIPAA for the Office of Civil Rights, meaning that FaceTime, Skype, Google Hangouts, TikTok, anything like that, even Zoom, if it's not Zoom for healthcare, those are non-HIPAA compliant platforms. So you need to have a platform most likely that is connected to your EMR or that you're paying for like DoxyMe, something that is a platform that um, has that BAA agreement. So the privacy protections for payments. So I want to talk to you about some of the extended, or I should say extensions that are out there for the audio only and audio and video, because I think people are reading into things that aren't there. And I want to be clear on that. So audio and video telehealth office visits, they have been extended for coverage through the end of this year, meaning through uh, December 31st, 2024. Starting in January, though, there is now a change, and this is a really big change. CMS stated that providers, this was in the final rule, will no longer use the place of service where the patient would have been had they reported in person. As of January 1st, you're supposed to use the place of service O2, 
when the patient isn't in their home, so that means they're probably in a facility setting, and you'll be reimbursed at facility rates because you don't have the overhead or the physician work value. Place of service 10 is to be used when the patient is in their home at the time of the telehealth encounter, and the reimbursement rates are going to be in parity with the non-facility rates. So just like if they did come in the office, but they do want you to use those place of service situations. Now, question has come up about the 95 modifier. Do I still have to use it for Medicare? So let me read to you out of the final rule what it actually said. It said in the calendar year 2023 physician fee schedule final rule 87 federal register 69467, we finalized that following the end of the calendar year in which the PHE ends, which was 93, or I'm sorry, 2003, the practitioners will no longer bill claims with modifier 95 along with the POS place of service code that would have been applied to the service been had the service been furnished in person. And telehealth claims will instead be billed with the POS indicators. And that's what I just read you that went into the POS 02 or 010. So it said, this says, as we stated, we believe that practice expense costs are more accurately reflected by the non-facility and facility rate respectively. But they only said when you're using it as the old way with the, the modifier, I'm sorry, with the place of service. But they're still saying you may have to use it if it's appropriate on what is descripted in the CPT book. So again, it just says no longer bill that with the 95 when you're putting it with a place of service 11, which you wouldn't do anymore. But when would you use the 95, which says audio and video? Well, that's when we're looking at um, the uh, Appendix P, but Appendix T is audio only, and that's going to be the 93 modifier. So let's move on to that. First of all, let's look at, well, let's talk about that. So AMA created Appendix T for audio only eligible services. That has the 93 modifier. Appendix P is in Paul, that's audio and video services, which will require the 95 modifier along with the appropriate place of service for payment. So in CMS agrees with both of these now. So if your codes are are in those actual um, appendices, then yes, you would put that modifier on there. But if they're not, then you wouldn't use that. So they don't want to see a 95 of the place of service 11. That wouldn't make sense. And then audio only codes. Now let me clarify this because everyone's getting confused. The only thing that was saved with audio only for 2024, I should say through 2024, is the payment parity of 99212 with 99214 for the 99441 to 443 respectively. And these are time-based codes. But first of all, you have to have documentation of why the patient could not be seen for an audio and video visit or intend attend an in-person encounter um, for that visit as well. Also, they're for established patients only. The reason I say that is because post-PHE, the end of PHE, the, the published guidance had said, and this was from actually February 27th, uh, April 24th, and again on May 15th, it said that you had to use the code descriptor and what it said within that code descriptor. Well, that code descriptor of 99441 to 443 says that patients have to be established. So they will continue to be reimbursed, yes, but they're going to be deleted in 2025, don't forget, and replaced with about 17 new encounter codes. But you have to put time that was documented, 
and why the patient couldn't come in for an audio and video. And remember, this is an E&M that's replacing the audio and video or the in-person encounter, not just for a quick phone call, not to refill medications, not to give test results, none of that. So that's not medically indicated for another E&M visit. And so this would be a replacement if the patient can't come in person or there's something that the patient doesn't have the ability to do the audio and video. It's not the doctor, it's the patient. So be aware of that. People are getting this confused saying that, well, because the final rule said they're going to continue to pay for it through the end of this year means for everybody. No, the code, if you send in a 99441 to 443 for a new patient, that is a fraudulent claim because the code descriptor says established. During the public health emergency, they allowed it, but you can't support it anymore past May 11th of 2023. So please do not do that. Okay, so the other thing, once the PHE ended, Medicare stated that providers will have to add their home addresses to their provider enrollment form because it could be seen on a public site for patients to access. But their deadline for that was first at the end of 2023. They've extended that through 2024. But remember, just because National Medicare says we won't put your home address on a public site, there are sites out there like Care Compare, which patients can look to see what Advantage plan they want versus um, traditional Medicare. And they have still listing providers' home addresses on there if that is your location. And some of the Medicare administrative contractors, so our MAC carriers, they're also using the actual office location. And always think about this. What are you going to do if you ever have to get in front of a judge? You've got to be able to say, this is why I didn't go back to my brick and mortar. And what is your response to that? And you know, and it's just, you need to have a way that patients can be seen in person. If you take any Medicaid patient, especially here where I'm at in California, they say that if a patient requests in person, you cannot default them to telehealth. You have to give them an in-person or refer them out. And so it's definitely an issue. CMS also states that they will continue to find direct supervision to permit the presence of immediately available through virtual means, audio and video, but I'm going to discourage this and I know I'm giving you the, the rules, but then I'm telling you my, just my opinion professionally on what you should or shouldn't do based on what I'm seeing that is finding its way on the OIG watch list and it, it's a problem. Why would you want to have something that looks out of a Star Wars movie being your um, immediately available presence virtually? First of all, that doesn't serve the patient. Secondly, that's not immediately available. What if the patient had a problem? What if 911 had to be called and you weren't there? What if you're, if you're at home or you're somewhere else and you can't get to see the patient? Try explaining that to a judge. And lastly, I'm going to talk about crossing state lines because this comes up as a question for me on my membership with everyone, you know, the Coding Corner membership, it seems like daily. So crossing state lines, a physician is in one state while the patient's in another location. For telehealth to be allowed, if the provider is licensed in the state where the patient is at at the time of the encounter, and if the provider is licensed in the state where they're at, where they're located at when they're providing treatment, then it's fine. Then you can do it. So for example, the physician is licensed and resides in Illinois and the patient resides in Illinois, but the patient happens to be in Florida on vacation and wants more than just a refill prescription that you could call in for continuity of care, but they want an actual telehealth encounter. You would have to be licensed in Florida to provide the visit. Or if let's say you're licensed in Illinois, in, in Illinois but you're in California on vacation. 
you would have to be licensed also here to see the patient versus telehealth. Unless you're part of the co-op, and so many states are not part of that. It's pending. There's only six states that are part of and fully fledged in the co-op, and you need to figure out where that is. So during the public health emergency, we did see the need for telehealth. It did allow access to medical care, and I love telehealth. It, it's been wonderful. I've been, you know, educating on it for 17 years, and I couldn't even get physicians to buy into it until they had to when we pivoted to telehealth during the pandemic. But payers made it too easy for providers to build telehealth services without any guardrails to start and making sure that overutilization didn't occur, and we know it did. We've seen some bad actors taking liberties reporting telehealth visits when not medically necessary or when not appropriate for the patient's circumstance. And it appears that post-PHE, many telehealth visits are more for convenience and may not be appropriate when the patient's able to come in person. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of when it's appropriate and when it wouldn't be. Let's say that the patient needs to have an annual well visit, which is basically just an inventory. They don't need a comprehensive history. It's not a preventative medicine exam. It's just the annual well visit that Medicare allows, and it's more for risk factor reduction, right? Take your, you know, take your steps, have a good healthy diet, you know, make sure you're using your seatbelt when you're driving, make sure you're not driving at night if a certain age, things like that. That would be fine because those are still on the telehealth list. And I th- I'm assuming that's probably going to stand because that's really just a conversation. Or let's say you're an oncologist and you have a patient that just had um, an, a CT guided biopsy and they found out you have prostate cancer. So here's the thing. Let's say that they did all this workup. You cannot use that if you also, if you did that and you charged for it in data points, but is this a telehealth visit under risk assessment uh, of the elements of, a, of an E&M visit, let's say for a telehealth, where now you have to talk to the patient about a possible um, prostatectomy and what that involves and radiation treatment, things like that. Yes, that could, that you know, urology or oncology or whoever's going to be talking to them about that. That could potentially be a, a valid um, visit, E&M visit under telehealth. Uh, let, you know, right now the preventative services that are not annual well visits, um, those are not covered under telehealth. Remember that. So those have to be where the patient's coming in in person to get their head to toe, uh, examination. And it's based on age. And, um, you also have some comprehensive things you have to do in person. Also, is it appropriate? One of the things that drives me crazy is the fact that physical therapists are now almost forcing patients to continue with physical therapy virtually. And I'm seeing patients opt out of it. They're basically saying, I'm not doing it. And that's a problem because they need their PT. They need a a licensed physical therapist to determine if they're getting better, if the treatment is working, not a spouse who's helping over a video. And they don't know the measurements. They don't know what they're seeing for strength or grip or, you know, if it's working or any kind of neurological dysfunction. So that part really drives me crazy. So you would have to be able to support, was this appropriate when the patient actually could come in person, but maybe the practitioner just didn't want them to come in. That's a problem. Also, what about if you have a patient that just needs a refill and prescriptions, but they're fine. That's a standing refill. They just call it in and somebody call it from your office calls and tries to bill for, for a uh, audio only. Absolutely not. Also not for routine test results. You had 
labs done. Your A1C looks good. It's it's at goal. Your 6.1, that's what we're looking for. It looks great. If you don't have a patient portal, look it up. That is not a telehealth visit. So those kinds of things you have to keep in check and make sure that you always keep in mind. Too much of a good thing is too much. Um, I had a, a, a cardiology visit that was billed as a telehealth the other day, and this was valid. So the patient had two chronic conditions. They were also noticing that at home when they were checking their blood pressure, they were having some elevated blood pressures. Patient's also a diabetic, and they um, forgot to take a couple of their insulin injections. And they were also a patient who has uh, CAD, chronic um, or I'm sorry, uh, coronary artery disease. And so they, but they couldn't come in because they were having some lethargy and they were just very uh, tired. And so they scheduled a telehealth visit to go over some of the issues they were having with their chronic problems that were showing maybe some progression or some exacerbation and having that conversation with the patient, with the physician over audio and video. Come to find out the patient was taking medications incorrectly, read one of them wrong and so they were mixed up and that was the problem. That's absolutely a valid telehealth visit. So things like that, you want to make sure that you can support and it's well documented and that it's not just for convenience. It has to be medically necessary. So telehealth can be an invited risk if not met with compliance. And this is, you know, you need to spot check not only internally, but also externally if you can, just to avoid a costly audit in the future. I'm auditing telehealth visits daily. So if you if you need one, let us know. We're happy to, to take a look. And also don't forget, we have our Coding Corner membership. So if you need something like that, we're very, you know, excited to help you out on that. Our CodeCast podcast is sponsored today by Part B News. Each week, Part B News delivers Medicare Part B regulatory coverage, plain English interpretive guidance, fee schedule updates, compliance hotspots, CEU opportunities, and best practices for submitting claims, coding, and more. Collect every dollar your practice deserves. Start your subscription today and learn more at codingbooks.com. I love Part B News. I am a subscriber to it. And so, and I also <laughs> was supposed to put this in my intro into my podcast today, but I didn't do that. So they, they got it on the, the exit, but hopefully you'll take a look at that again, codingbooks.com. And it's just great information from Decision Health. So a personal tidbit today, well, my Steelers, um, you will know probably before I do, I'm recording this before my game on Saturday. And so we have week 18 if we win and Buffalo loses or the Jags lose, we're in. So um, I'm hopeful. We'll see. Hopefully the Jaguars can get beaten um, and we'll we'll see what happens by Miami. So pray for me because I'm going to be very sad and I'm going to be crying in my coffee if we don't at least get in. We've had um, three different quarterbacks this season and we're now on our third backup, but he did great the last two games. So I'm hopeful. So anyway, <laughs> we'll see. So everyone have a great week, make it a great day, and thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma. Music producer, Assassin Music.